This is Taste for Tenacity, show number three. Because if I'm working this hard doing a day job, my money should be working just as hard, if not harder, for me. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ben Trella, and this is Taste for Tenacity. Today on the show, I'm joined by Mike Taravella. Mike's journey started by founding a screen printing company with a couple of his buddies in college. He then became a CPA and found himself working at a public accounting firm in audit for a couple years. Throughout his time in public accounting, Mike started to build out a real estate portfolio. He then moved to Chicago, founded a podcast, and that's where we pick up. Let's get to the show. What's going on, Mike? Hey, Ben. How's it going? Life is good. Happy Monday, man. Happy Monday. Hope you're living the dream. One day at a time. So uh, let's, uh, let's get this moving right away. So let's start with uh, where your entrepreneurial journey really began. My entrepreneurial journey began in 2013 when me and a bunch of buddies started a screen printing company called Spartan Dog Screen Printing at Michigan State University. We did $20,000 in sales in our first nine months doing anything from tailgate t-shirts to the entire accounting department shirts to a fraternity event for 500 shirts in four days. Jeez, so that was a marathon. Yeah, a really long and short marathon, but you know, I learned a lot through the process and just got me hooked on trying to find my own path and starting a business and continuing to learn and understand business and apply what I learned at Michigan State University and do it in real life. Okay. So you said that was in 2012, 2013? The 2013 to 14. 13 to 14. Okay. And what year in, uh, in school were you? That was senior year to master's year. Okay. So that was uh, starting, what was your master's in? accounting. It was a one-year program for 2014. So. Okay. Gotcha. So that, that kicked off in 2013. Uh, you said it was you and a couple buddies. What kind of gave you guys the itch to get this thing going? You said it was Spartan Dog Printing? Spartan Dog Screen Printing, SDSP. SDSP. So what, uh, what got you guys moving on that? So we just saw a bunch of people in the dorms making t-shirts and making money and we're like, man, we can do this too. So we drove to Cent- uh, Mount Pleasant, bought a screen, f- a two-shirt press for $900. It was bent, gave us a couple of screens that were broke, and we were just like, yep, let's do it. We'll make it work. <laughs> yeah, so we did our first b- batch of t-shirts, and we're like, oh, we got the perfect idea. Terrible idea. But we were trying to make a cheesy tailgate shirt. Didn't work. Then we evolved to doing like softball shirts and it evolved into clubs because when you're the upperclassman, you kind of know everyone in the clubs. You have that like connection naturally. Yeah. So we're like, Hey, do you need t-shirts for your student org? And we're like, well, we know a guy. We're the best. Yeah. So we just did that. And then it evolved into the accounting department at Michigan state fraternities, sororities, bar crawls, you name it. We did them all. We uh, did a couple shirts that people are like, you made that shirt? No way. So 
I still it, have that one. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a cool story that kind of even to this day, five years graduated, hearing about the shirts and people still having them and people putting the ties together. You have that, uh, that legacy a little bit. Oh, yeah, not much, but it was <laughs> every uh, couple, couple times it's happened, it's been yeah. a pretty cool story. It'll pop up here or there. Okay, yeah. so you start uh, Spartan Dog Screen Printing, SDSP. Yeah. Um, you guys get it up to, you said, 20000 in sales in the first nine months. Yep. Where did it go from there? So it was graduation time at MSU, so May 2014. And I bowed out from the company. Um, they're trying to expand and do more business, but I just knew I couldn't dedicate starting my career with helping the team as much as I want. So I bowed out and started my career in public accounting with Ernst & Young. Okay. And so focused on my career for about a year, but then got the itch to kind of start a new kind of venture on the side and uh, picked up Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad and realized that I need to start making my money work for me. Okay. And so real quick, I kind of want to unpack. So you, you wrap up your master's in accounting in 2014, you said May, and then now you start at in public accounting that same year. Why the shift from entrepreneurship to such a, a rigid type of hierarchical environment? So, you, you know, you go from kind of loose to, to a very set structure. What was that shift like? I wouldn't say it's set. I think public accounting gives a lot of different avenues. And I knew starting my business that we did not understand business processes at all. Okay. So I knew the path that I took with audit would allow me to see cash receipts, accounts receivable, invoicing, how companies pay bills, how people process payroll. And I was blessed with the opportunity to see all these different from large companies to small companies, from automotive to education, anywhere in between and see how each company did it and focused on the process, the systems they use and really learn and in fact, just talk to people and how they found better ways to use their process. So for me as an education piece and learning how other companies did business processes because okay. I knew from my startup we failed because we had them. Okay. So it was really a crash course in building a sustainable business. I would say a crash course in just business processes and how large companies do business because as a startup, there's different ways on how to do stuff that you can get away with being flexible but when you're billion to million dollar companies, you can't get away with that stuff because then it's an uphill battle. So it just really made me realize how to get my ducks in a row and launching the next business whenever that came. Okay. So that was very process focused, learning how to set up the processes and systems so that when you do build that next venture, it runs a little bit more efficiently and can scale a lot more rapidly. Yeah. And plus two, as an auditor, you get to see what's important, how to document your process, doing walkthroughs, doing substantive testing, where it's just making sure that you can back up the information you provide, which feel not many startups knew, know what that, how to do that. So what better way to figure out how than auditors check? So being on the other side. 
yeah, so having that other extreme end to say, here's where we are and here's what it actually should be like. Exactly. Okay, cool. So you make that shift in 2014 to public accounting. Now, a year later, you start to get the itch. That's early, late 2015? Yeah, 2015, uh, I picked up Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad and realized that real estate is a really good avenue because with public accounting, I really wanted to focus on that career path, but I knew if I did a lot of upfront work that I could get by with someone paying me rent for my upfront work. And if anything kind of popped up, I can help or call someone to help fix the house. So I realized real estate was a great avenue. And so started looking at houses in uh, Metro Detroit. Okay. Did you wind up finding anything in that search? Uh, first, I found my business partner because I didn't have all the money saved, but I met my business partner as someone who i known since middle school. And I was just like, yeah, I'm looking to find my first rental property in real estate. He's like, you know what? My grandpa does that too. So we kind of just went down for the next six months. We researched how to analyze deals, being a CPA, love the numbers and made sure they were as conservative as possible and making sure they cash flowed. We went from probably five different cities in Metro Detroit every Saturday and Sunday when I could to go out and check properties. When I was gone, my business partner was checking properties and we landed the first one in April 2016. So you kind of went dark from uh, from the end of 2015 into 2016 for that six-month period as you started to build out your expertise. Now, you dropped a term in there that I, I want to delve into a little. Uh, you said you wanted to model these properties with a sense of conservatism. What does that mean? So I wanted to make sure that the properties would cash flow. Um, in the sense of for your listeners in the single family rental space, looking at the kind of rule of thumb we use is called the 1% rule. So the purchase price plus the fixing up value or whatever repair and maintenance we need to do to get the house rentable, you take that number and multiply it by 1% and then that should be your rent um, that you should be charging, which everyone was saying in 2016, the market's too hot being 2019. They're still saying that. So <laughs> it was just, it ruled out a lot of different ways. And then from there, okay, how much is this property cash flow? So after your mortgage insurance and taxes are paid after there's a 10%, we'll say kind of buffer for repair and maintenance or anything that can happen, does this property still make value? And I even looked at rents from 08, 09, just to be conservative and going, okay, if it hits rock bottom again, how much can we cash flow? Got it. Conservatism is your real worst case scenario. It's saying, okay, if all of the worst possible things happen, will this property still make money or break even? So that really you're covering yourself. You're covering your investment to make sure uh, it can withstand those tornadoes, thunderstorms, whatever. Yeah. And I think too, an underrated piece was everyone who I told I was doing this would have a what if scenario. What if the land, the tenant doesn't pay the rent? Well, then you evict him. Well, what happens if this breaks? Well, we have insurance and that can get fixed. Once we had an answer for all those, the what ifs became, well, what happens if a tornado hits? <laughs> 
and it's just like okay we can't prepare for like (laughs) there's insurance there's everything in place that can protect our assets that's when i felt more comfortable of the what ifs were becoming more and more extreme of burning the house down tornadoes hitting it so that's when i knew i felt comfortable in the numbers and i saw enough properties where i felt comfortable pulling the trigger but yet i was still nervous because any of those things could happen but once we got keys and closing and more importantly we got our first tenant who has been absolutely amazing still have that same tenant to this day yeah she's a absolute rock star once the first check came to us we're like oh man we're doing this for real because it took uh three months okay up and running from the city inspection to every marketing, screening the tenant, and just off to the races. Okay, so between, between what, that'd be end of 2015 when you started in public accounting, you said you spent about a year, so that puts you into 2016, correct? April 2016, we got the first house. So July. then you got your first checks in July of 2016? Yes, I believe so. Have I to almost- check my accountant. But I <laughs> even the accountant doesn't do his own accounting. So that really seems like it's a it's an intense time of growth for you because you started as a graduate who had just kind of wrapped up his piece of a screen printing business, hopped into the public accounting world, got that experience moving, and then started to get that entrepreneurial itch again. And you you dove headfirst into real estate, and you spent what six months just constantly studying and picking up everything you could from the real estate perspective while working and just kind of adding all these layers on. What was that like? I didn't look at it as work, to be honest. I was passionate about it. And I, there's so many people who can make money off real estate. And I just, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad kind of just made me realize I got to put my money to work. Because if I'm working this hard doing a day job, my money should be working just as hard, if not harder for me. It just didn't feel like work either. It was just learning every day about real estate, underwriting deals, making sure they cash flow, talking to my broker, talking to banker. Like for me, it's just talking to people, learning every day, going on bigger pockets, learning from the best, talking to the best. And that's the best part about real estate is that it's the only, I believe, industry where everyone has an abundance culture of they're super supportive of you finding the next deal and it's not a competition of who has the most deals or houses and everyone's supportive of each other. So you mentioned abundance culture and kind of an abundance mindset. What are the two different extremes you've come across? There's just people I talk to. I'm sure you've met the same people of like, I have a day job and this is, they take pride in it, but they don't think of more on, you know, the extra hustle, which is totally fine. But I've always wanted to build something bigger than me and provide confidence in other people and educate people to do other things. Um, It's almost like a victim mentality versus an abundance mentality. I don't want to say victim mentality, but it's just people find pleasure in doing different things. So for me, people might view me staying up late doing the real estate as working, but other people are spending time with their family and doing other things. So I wouldn't say victim, but it's just different passions. Passion based. Yeah. So I think with that abundant culture piece, it's the fact that 
they're they're spending their abundance of time with family, loved ones, whatever, playing soft, whatever they want. Mm-hmm. For me, it's understanding real estate and understanding how it can create wealth for me and other people. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's necessarily a victim mentality, but it's just there's 24 hours in a day and how do you value that time and what do you want to do with it? Yeah. So, so that's a time of growth for you. And where does it kind of peak? You know, what's your, what's your biggest hurdle that you've come across so far? So I think there's a period of time within getting the first house to now that I think kind of hyper, I mean, fast forward 2017, got another house in Metro Detroit. 2018 lost 70 pounds end of 2018 went to a real estate conference called the Midwest real estate conference, which is based in Chicago, met my mentor and a bunch of other real estate investors. And from there I realized I can do much more within real estate than just the single family. I got introduced to apartment syndications from there moved from Metro Detroit to Chicago focused on real estate. And I got introduced to Joe Fairless at the conference, read his book, The Best Ever Apartment Syndication Book. Then me, you know, talking with my mentor, John Kasman, who's both of them together have over half a billion in apartment assets. So it just, when you say it, but it's culture, it's just realizing there's always a step ahead that you can go. So in 2019, I focused on apartment syndications fundraising money from investors and buying large apartments, 50 plus units, and then trying to flip that in five to seven years and have their money, you know, kind of the lessons I learned with my single family on creating wealth and having that create wealth for them with apartments. Having, having an abundance mindset and really seeing that there's opportunity out there and you just kind of have to reach forward and and grab for it. I think that's something that really underlines what you've been talking about so far, because, you know, you see this opportunity and you, you start to feel this itch of, all right, I want to get into real estate. Let's see how that goes. And then you get your first house and you get those first checks coming in three months later and it starts to build. And, yeah. you know, you could say, hey, let's, let's just stick with those two single families. They're good enough. But it seems like you started to recognize that there's more opportunity if you take it one step further. Yeah. I always just, I always thought I was cool when I had one single family, then one to two. And then I kind of got complacent a little bit because we just had cash flow coming in. I didn't know what to do. I felt comfortable in the space. So I felt like I needed to push myself more by 10xing my efforts into something much bigger. And then what I've been preaching lately is, if you know, you put out in the universe, it's going to answer. And that's where I met uh, my mentor on Bigger Pockets. And he referenced the conference, and from the conference, I moved here. And from there, which that conference is going to be June 1st, June 2nd, I can send you and your listeners a link to in the show notes if they're interested in the conference with the discount code. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll link that in the show notes. You just got to surround yourself with people that have the mindset of abundance and help you level up because if you're the best and biggest in the room, you really need to change rooms because you're just going to be complacent and 
when I was doing my single families, it was like, yeah, no, I had two, but then you listen to bigger pockets and they're like, Oh, in nine months I got a thousand units. And you're like, Oh man, I didn't do anything. <laughs> there's <laughs> always a bigger the bucket. Room. Yeah. So it's just like, Oh man, I, I haven't done anything yet. So now it's just kind of thinking bigger of like, okay, how do I 10 X the Grant Cardone method, 10 X continue to grow and just move on from there. Cause two's great. But then if one apartment could be 50 to hundred units and that's just monumental growth. You're just getting started. Absolutely. Everyone's just getting started. Every, the, every uh, journey begins with one step. So you can only eat an elephant one bite at a time. It's my favorite Absolutely. bike shop wisdom right there. So have there been any real moments where you just get, you just feel like you're punched in the gut while you've been going through this? I mean, you're, you're doing all these different projects and it's challenging, I imagine, to, to be balancing all this. And, and with all the new stuff you're working on too, which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit, has there been any real gut punch moment for you? There was a month this past February before I, the best ever conference. That's when I realized, okay, I'm going all in on apartments indications. I can't come to this conference with nothing to show for it going in. So I need to, I need to get a podcast up. I need to get a website. I need to be writing blogs. I need to do all of this. And I was averaging probably four to five hours of sleep a night while working and trying to get everything going, which was fine. But then I went to the conference and just networked and did everything. And then I came back and I slept 41 hours in three days. <laughs> So you recharged a little bit. I did my best. <laughs> and that's when I realized this, the process is broken. And I kind of went back to my public accounting days of like, I don't have a process. And even at the best ever conference, uh, Trevor McGregor, who's a mentor to Joe Fairless and a phenomenal high performance coach, made me realize there needs to be processes. And so from there, I hired three virtual assistants on Upwork so that, you know, me trying to do everything in 24 hours is absolutely impossible. And especially in apartments indications, there's no one person who can do it all. That's why they have a general the team. with teams. Absolutely. So there's someone to help fundraise money. There's someone to analyze, find the deals, property managers. I mean, there's a whole crew of people that help with these deals. And so I realized I needed my team to help me grow and gain traction in the space and more importantly, develop a process because if I'm not progressing the business, someone else needs to, whether it's with the podcast and everything else, there's just, there has to be processes. And Robert Kiyosaki mentions that in his book, Cashflow Quadrant. Okay. So if you remove yourself, the business still needs to continue. And so from that conference, I realized I had no systems, I had no process, I had no team. So then from there was developing the process and the team to help me grow, which now being end of April, I can say they've been a huge help and I'm forever grateful for them and their hard work that they do. Wow. So I heard a saying and I don't remember where, but it's, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that seems like kind of that crossroads you came to where it's, oh, uh, I'm dying. I needed to sleep 41 hours in three days. How do I build this better? Yeah. 
And even at the conference, it made me realize that the multifamily space is such a team sport that there's 0% chance I could do everything. Learning that, and plus, I think the first podcast I listened to when I came back was a Tim Ferriss podcast, in which there's a couple things he said that kind of resonated. One is good now is better than perfect later. And then on the, later in that podcast, he mentioned that the team that he had had 24 virtual assistants wow. who, and they had four partners doing millions of dollars in sales and some sort of kind of, I don't want to say drop shipment, but it was just so unreal. If they had them from all over vetting, talking to suppliers, you name it, they did it. And so it just made me realize like, Oh man, that's a good idea. And they recommended a book called who, by Jeff Smart, G-E-O-F-F Smart. And so I audiobooked that book in three days. I mean, I listened to books on 2X, so it went quick. Jeez. But I mean, that book was amazing. And there's tools online that how to interview, because I know a lot of people who have virtual assistants, are like, it didn't work out. But thanks to Ernst & Young, I worked a lot with virtual teams and they helped me understand that communication is the key and making very clear directions and objectives and guidelines on how to do everything. So it was a huge help with my success now with my virtual assistants for my real estate. So you go from, from public accounting to real estate and public accounting, then decide you want to go all in on, on real estate at some point. You dive in, realize, oh God, I'm not doing this right. I'm doing this on my own and the business will, will fail if I walk away from it. And then you start to reverse engineer that and say, okay, how do I build this business without me in it? I don't think I, I never look at anything as a failure. I definitely look at it as a learning opportunity because I know I could have sustained that five hours done the same thing a month later, hit the same wall and do it again. I don't want to say I failed. I just learned really hard. There's 24 hours in a day. There's people like the Dan Gilberts, Ultra Mark Rich. Cubans, Mark Cuban. Yeah, they have the same 24 hours. They put the same pair of pants on as we do. Theirs might be a little more expensive. And so it's just realizing like, okay, at a smaller scale, how do I leverage out my time? And Trevor McGregor had a a very good kind of point of just high, focusing on the high dollar value tasks. If it's talking to investors and finding the next real estate deal, that's your best use of your time. Is it making a Facebook post or sending an email or, or yeah, editing. I mean, the email could be an investor, but at the same time, is it you trying to make the next logo or making a perfect logo? Probably not. So it's just challenging you to go, all right, what do I need to do to move the needle a little bit every day? And what do I need to outsource so that I can focus on those high dollar value tasks? And build the stuff you're good at building. Yeah, I build and even then teach other people how to build it for you so that you can focus on the next level of high dollar value tasks. And constantly just build that, that compounding momentum. Yeah, there's 24 hours in a day. How, how do you want to spend them? How are you going to use it? Now, now let's start to look forward a little bit. What, okay. what are your current projects and what's coming next? Yeah, so currently I am working on my podcast, Next Level Investing Podcast. We've 
10 will be published by the end of this week. 14 have been recorded. Right now, we've identified Columbus, Ohio as a very good market for our real estate investors um, to invest in. So I've been reaching out to investors and brokers and special asset managers to help find the next deal. And What are special asset managers? From Scott Carson of We Close Notes on my podcast, he mentioned that there's a group at the bank that works on taking non-performing assets so people who aren't paying their mortgages and works on selling those off their books because the banks don't want them so that part of the bank is called special asset managers been reaching out to them trying to understand kind of how their world works and get to know them and build relationships and try to find the next deal in this crazy market we're in hey you're looking at uh Looking at Columbus, so if any Columbus listeners are out there and you know of anything, send it over to Mike at Next Level Investing. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's start to kind of wrap things up a yeah, little bit here. For sure. It's important to, to kind of take a look back. What would you say is really the underlying theme of your story? Underlying theme. I just always keep working on it and just figuring out your why and the how will come because I knew I wanted to build something on my own and I just didn't know what. So then I did the screen printing, which then morphed into the single family and then level up the efforts. And, you know, now I'm focused on the apartment syndications and trying to have that grow. So I think it's just keep working on having your why and keep growing and make sure you surround yourself with good people because if you have people doubting you and you're surrounded by that doubt, it's just going to fester in there. So wipe away your limiting beliefs and the people who reinforce those and you'll pour gasoline on the fire and just explode. Good people, a good purpose and keep making progress. Absolutely. Awesome. Last couple of questions for you. Yeah. Uh, what's been one book or resource that's helped you along your journey? Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki got the ball rolling, but right now, Joe Farrell's and Theo Hicks' best ever apartment syndication book, 450 page. I don't even want to call it a book. I want to call it a manual because it is thick and I read it in three days and I'm not a crazy reader, <laughs> but I knew my highest dollar value task was finishing that book. So it goes everything on how to build a leadership platform and all the way through to how to close on an apartment syndication. That kind of 1A, 1B given on my step in the journey. Okay, awesome. How should people get a hold of you? Yeah, you can reach me via email at mike at nlinvesting.com. I'm on Bigger Pockets, Mike Taravella. Check out my podcast, Next Level Investing Podcasts, at NL Investing for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'd say email first and then check out the podcast. We have had so many great guests that go from mobile home park investing was last week, notes investing, you name it, we've had it and it's been 10 episodes and you know it's more more amazing guests to come and it's just a great way to learn and go ahead first into real estate investing. Awesome. Love it, man. Well, uh, thanks for joining me. I uh, appreciate your time. What do you say we get out of here? Absolutely. Have fun. Thank you, Ben, for having me on. I appreciate it. Have a good one, Ben. You too, man. Take care.
And that was our show with Mike Taravella. Now, I really like Mike's story because it outlines you have to have at least a rough plan. You have to put processes in you have to put processes in place that make life easier and start to take the guesswork out of building and creating. I also really like the overall authenticity that Mike brings to the table in all of his content and in his overall mannerisms. I really enjoyed working with him and I'm excited to see where he goes next. This has been Taste for Tenacity. My name is Ben Trella. Thanks for listening.